Today on Ag News Daily. Crop is getting bigger by the day. It seems like right now the talk is this crop. Their crop's going to top out around the 115 to 116 million metric ton crop. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. A happy Monday to all y'all. Mike Pearson here, flying solo on today's edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Our co-host Delaney Howell is traveling around the state of Iowa today following Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue. This morning, he took the chance to tour the Vermeer factory down in Pella, Iowa. Uh, This was the factory that some of our listeners probably remember last year, last summer, was uh, hit by a tornado and took the roof off, was uh, was fairly catastrophic. There was a tornado that took out uh, or severely impacted this factory in Pella and a different tornado on the same day that impacted JBS Pork Processing up in Marshalltown, Iowa. Uh, so he was there touring that. I don't know exactly what was discussed. Delaney said they did do a media availability afterwards that she participated in, but I haven't heard the uh, the audio file from it yet. So I don't know what kind of stinging questions Delaney was able to pose to our Secretary of Agriculture. I also know that uh, Sonny Perdue is headed up to Johnston, Iowa, where he is expected to tour the Corteva um, Pioneer Seed Facility, uh, which is happening this afternoon. So I don't know if Delaney was going to make it up to there as well, but I think she was planning on it. So tomorrow, when Delaney joins us again, we will get her take on exactly what happened as uh, Secretary Sonny was out touring these farm sites here in Iowa, or farm business sites, I should say. In the meantime, folks, you are stuck with me hosting the podcast, but I am joined. Today is, of course, hashtag Market Monday on the podcast, and we've got a new voice joining us. You'll hear from Jim McCormick. He is over in McHenry, Illinois. He's with agmarket.net, a division of John Stewart and Associates. We've had some of his partners on the podcast before, and I think you'll really enjoy Jim's take. So be sure to stay tuned. We'll get his breakdown of the markets, but... Before we get into all of that, we've got to hit some of the top headlines that are impacting agriculture. And one of these that broke on Friday, I did not have a chance to report it, is out of Archer Daniels Midland. ADM said they are considering spinning off its ethanol business. Basically, the slim margins, slim to negative margins that they are seeing in ethanol, plus the impact from the flooding that has impacted Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota, and Missouri, caused their first quarter grains profit to drop 41% in the first quarter, and that's not great. That's not something they are excited about, as one can imagine. Uh, basically, a 50 to $60 million loss is what they warned to Wall Street, and in order to kind of combat that shortfall, they are considering selling or spinning off and then selling their ethanol business. Um we don't know much more than that. They did say that the ongoing turmoil in the ethanol industry and limited margins and opportunities for the business are some of the reasons they are continuing making that a spinoff. Now, I'm no expert marketer, but I tell you what, if I'm going to spin off something, I want to sell it for as much money as possible. I don't think I'd be talking about the, quote, limited margins and opportunities, unquote, available in that sector. I'd be talking about how fantastic it looks, why it's so bright out there, why you ought to get involved in the ethanol industry right now. I guess I bring the used car salesman approach to uh, company sales, and I suppose that's probably why they uh, don't let me sell companies. But 
Just thought that was interesting. News broke on Friday. We'll continue to keep an eye on it, see if ADM actually follows through on this, or if the second quarter was able to turn things around enough that they want to maintain their position of dominance in the ethanol industry. Time will tell. But we do have some other market-related news, not commodities markets, but more broader U.S. economic market news. Fed, the FOMEC meeting, is later this week the Federal Open Market Committee, and they are not expected to hike interest rates. The slew of good news we have had over the past couple weeks from the the U.S. GDP jumping three and a quarter percent in the first quarter to unemployment being continually at record lows or 50 year lows, I should say. All of these things are conspiring to keep the Fed on an even keel, according to most observers. We're not expected to see another rate hike. We're not going to see a drop in interest rates. The economy is clicking along fairly well. They kind of want to keep their foot on the brake a little bit with the current overnight lending rate set at two and a quarter to two and a half percent. So folks, if you've got a lot of debt, you can breathe a little bit easier. It looks like We're not going to see any huge changes. In fact, we're expected to see a slightly more upbeat tone on Wednesday afternoon when their final meeting report gets published. Now, that means that uh, the U.S. dollar is flying fairly high. Earlier this month, earlier this week, I should say, the uh, the dollar index, which is the dollar weighted against a bunch of other currencies, you know, the dollar versus the euro, dollar versus the yen, dollar versus et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, British pound and so forth. Um, it hit a 23-month high. That matters to those of us in commodities because we are an export-driven business. And as our currency gets stronger, our value overseas gets harder to capture. And that is part of the reason, as we'll talk about with Jim here in just a little bit, We saw soybeans facing some pressure this last week and uh, continued on today. Basically, traders are awaiting more data. We slid off that 23-month high uh, late in the day because we've got the Fed meeting coming out later this week. We've got U.S. jobs data coming out later this week. We've got some reasons that have folks uh, pulling back some of their long bets sitting on the sidelines, but still very, very strong index there for the U.S. dollar. Other news that happened in the markets today, folks, a lot of you with retirement plans probably noticed this S&P 500 hit an intraday record today, and it was impressive. Um, It pulled back uh, towards the end, couldn't hold it, but uh, it jumped over the record set on September 21st. Back then, the S&P topped out at 2,940.91. Today, we beat that by about nine points, coming in at 2,949.52. Had a record high closing price last week, but it uh, hadn't been able to get over that intraday mark until today. Um, both the S&P and the NASDAQ closed at record levels again today. Consumer spending is up, up nine and up the most it's been in nine and a half years. Inflation is subdued. All of these things are causing folks to continue to invest in the equities markets. So that is the market update. Flipping over to the side of agriculture, we've got some news coming out of Canada. We have talked on this podcast, we have talked in agriculture ad nauseum for the better part of a year about the difficulties in getting American goods into China. 
Well, as we discussed here just a few weeks ago, Canadians are beginning to run into the same problem. This started with canola exports into China. Uh, China put some restrictions on two of the largest exporters of canola, Richardson International and Viterra, and their reasoning was that shipments had pests. China has used this in canola before. They like to use these non-tariff barriers, especially when they're in the middle of a diplomatic fight. And China, as a lot of you remember, is currently in a bit of a diplomatic battle with Canada because Canada was the one who arrested the Huawei companies, uh, Huawei Technologies Company's uh, director at the request of the U.S. So because of that, China, traders say, is now retaliating. Started with canola, but right now that is trending into soybeans and peas. So in the past, if you wanted to ship soybeans from Canada into China, they were stopped at the port and they were inspected, typically took a few days. Today, takes three weeks. They're slow walking these approvals, and that is causing grain buyers to look elsewhere, notably to Brazil to secure their soybean needs. Uh, seeing the similar story with peas and, and it's ongoing in the canola industry. Now, this has not gone unnoticed by the Canadian government. The Canadian Ag Department said it could not confirm that China had imposed stricter measures against farm goods other than canola, but they are planning to send a delegation to China to discuss the issues. Um, we also saw basically... Um, Oh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau say, quote, we are absolutely going to be doing more on the canola file. We'll have an announcement coming in the coming days. We're in the process of solving this. It's not a very easy situation. It's one we've taken very seriously, end quote. So it definitely sounds as though they are paying attention. They're trying to keep an eye and perhaps find a solution for what is going on there with Canadian goods moving into China. One other brief note before we get into the markets, we have seen an absolute explosion of drone usage in agriculture. Well, we might see some changes coming to drones. Over the past year, there have been several unidentified drones causing havoc in airports. We saw it at Gatwick International in London. We saw it at Newark in New Jersey. There was a drone, apparently last month I missed this story, but there was a drone that hovered over Fenway Park during a Red Sox game. The pilot had overridden some of the geo-referencing software inside the drone that was supposed to prohibit it from flying over uh, you know, crowded places like sporting events. And the challenge that lawmakers and that legal folks are running into is that there's no way to identify these drones. Back in 2016, the FAA was tasked with putting into place a electronic remote identification sensing system for drones. Hasn't been done. And so today, we had two senators really start to push uh, Elaine Chao, who is the head of the Department of Transportation, to get this remote identification system in place. Uh, Ed Markey, a Democrat, and John Thune, a Republican from South Dakota, said that they want to use this rule to help address the rising number of unauthorized drone flights. The FAA didn't comment today, but they have said previously they plan to publish a proposed rule by July 21st. 
But before that, they said they were going to publish the proposed rule by May 1st. So they kind of keep kicking the can down the road. Those of you with drones are going to want to pay attention to this. This rule will impact uh, how you're allowed to operate your drone, what kind of technology you're going to need to have on board when you get that sucker up in the air. So we will continue to report on it. If it ever actually comes to fruition, we'll be sure to let our listeners know so you can stay in compliance, keep that drone flying, especially as we get into the growing season here in the upper Midwest. Speaking of growing season, should be planting season for a lot of folks, but there's a lot of rain in the forecast. There is a lot of challenges facing growers across the Corn Belt right now. Not least of them, continue to be prices. Folks, our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, challenges can create opportunities. Use the folks at Zaner to create a marketing plan to manage your marketing risk. Give them a shout. You can reach them at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We did see a slight turnaround in the corn market today. The July contract was up half a cent at 361 and three quarters. December also up a half to finish at 381 and a quarter. Soybean sell-off continued with the July down six and a quarter, closing at 860 and three quarters. November new crop off seven cents on the day, finishing at 880 and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, man, big down day today. The July contract down seven and a quarter cents at 435 and a quarter, with the December down six and a half to finish at 460 and three quarters. Looking over at the world of livestock, in June live cattle, they were down 25 cents at 114.80, with the August off 10 cents at 112.55. Significant weakness in feeder cattle today. The August contract was down $1.77 and a half, closed at 151.0750. September down $1.35 at 152.50. And weakness still in the hog market. The May contract front month down $2.22 and a half cents closed at 84.77 and a half the june down 70 cents at 88.05 and of course we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry in class three milk today we saw the may contract down 13 cents giving back to some of last week's gains closed at 16.19 with the june down seven to bring us to a close at 16.32. Without further ado, folks, let's take a listen to our new voice here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, Mr. Jim McCormick. All right, folks, well, it is Hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, and we're joined by a new voice to help us break down the markets and what is driving them today. We're joined by Jim McCormick. He is a branch manager for John Stewart & Associates. He's their agmarket.net, one of their main guys there with our good buddy Matt Bennett and Brian Split. Jim, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, we got to start off talking about what happened this last week in the soybean markets, and it, it was not a pretty picture. Bring us up to speed. Was this all just driven by devaluation in the Brazilian real? I think part of it is devaluation in Brazilian real. Their crop is getting bigger by the day. It seems like right now the talk is this crop. Their crop's going to top out around the 115 to 116 million metric ton crop. So that'd be the second largest crop ever. So we got a lot of competition. The currencies are devaluing. The U.S. dollar, unfortunately, is going the other way, which is making it even more expensive. And then on top of it, you still have this trade war going on with China. I mean, China's bought a few loads here and there to kind of grease the skids. But the fact of the matter is, Mike, is we, we really are still no closer now, it feels like, to get this trade thing policy worked out than we were six months from now. So you take that 
combined with the fact that the market just kind of fell apart last week, took out critical support, and it looks like to me the funds just rushed in and started adding to their sell, their short position and continue to build a short position just like they did in the corn the last few weeks. Now, as you mentioned, we took out a critical support level last week. What are you eyeing as the next level of support here in this downward trend we've embarked upon? Right now, you know, I'm hopeful that we can try to catch sooner than later at this point in time. Um, but, you know, what I'm looking at right now is if you go much below these, uh, you know, these kind of winter lows around this on the basis of July contract around this 860 level, um, you could slide it back down toward 830, maybe as low as 8 on a pure fundamental basis. I hope it doesn't go there, folks, because that would be very brutal. But that's just kind of where it's at. I think the bean market's best hope right now is to try to pin the Chinese down and get them to buy some beans and take some of this excess inventory off our uh, off our shoulders, plain and simple. Oh, my gosh. That is a terrifying idea. I mean, considering we we closed today, what, right at 860, 860 and three quarters right in there? We closed today right down on that critical support. We are pretty much, the July beans are pretty much right back to where they were for this contract way back uh, back on September uh, 18th of, ni- uh, of 2018. Ooh, all right. So tomorrow could be a big day, listeners. Now, Jim, if listeners want to get ahead of this thing, uh, what's the best approach? I mean, knowing that the risk is out there, knowing we've got potentially 30 or more cents of downward movement ahead of us in case the China thing doesn't get solved in the short term, what are you advising growers to be doing? Well, right now, I guess the fact the market is so oversold and broke so hard, and we're just the fact that we're just in the very beginning of planting this crop. I mean, they're looking for planting progress and to be less than 5%. So I would encourage producers if they, after this hard break, I don't think now is the time to panic and sell futures at this time. But if they really get nervous about equity and they want to try to protect it, consider, you know, some of the shorter term puts where you're not buying quite as much time value, but, you know, you're buying a little bit of protection in case this, um, you know, trade deal doesn't come together. Hopefully we'll have some news relatively soon. The Chinese are coming over to the United States this week. And then U.S. officials are heading over there next week, so hopefully we get some positive news. But, you know, you can consider some short-term puts where you're not spending a whole lot of premium that just in case this thing absolutely falls apart. I think that really is the biggest risk is uh, the Trump administration does not able to close the deal at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, that's a risk that, man, that's been hanging over our head, the sort of Damocles for the better, well, for a year now since we started this trade battle, and it's just not getting any easier. It's not. And, you know, and there was rumors, and that was very frustrating for myself. I'm sure it's frustrating for all the producers out there. I mean, over the weekend, we had some more positive news from Larry Kudlow. He said that we're getting close. We're close to a deal. Steve Muchin saying we're close to a deal. But unfortunately, at least in the grain complex, they don't believe it at this point in time. It seems like the market is almost pricing in a failure of the, of the trade agreement, like it's not going to happen. Now, I lean to think it will happen. I think there's there's both incentives on both the U.S. side as well as the Chinese side to get this deal hammered out. So I do think once we do get it hammered out, you will see kind of a rising tides lift all boats, not just the beans, but, you know, the meat, protein, wheat, corn. I think all will rally 
can finally get this deal done because it's like it's just going to get guillotine hang over the market's heads and everyone's just tired of dealing with it plain and simple absolutely well let's talk about the corn market here we've we've seemed to have found a, a halfway supportive level here looking at the uh new crop december at that 381 and a quarter where we closed today what, what are your thoughts here we're getting a little bit delayed in planting we're seeing wet weather spreading across the midwest this week are we getting to a point where the market's going to take notice and start to price in some weather premium I believe they will. I mean, if you look historically speaking, once you get past May, you like to be about 50% planted by May 10th. Um, right now, they're looking for us to be around 14, 50% planted as of last week is kind of the estimate right now. So with the forecast being very, very wet, the, every forecaster I've seen the last 24 hours is talking a lot of rain over the next two weeks with two, three, four-inch rain totals for the eastern Corn Belt. So we're probably not going to be able to hit that 50% mark. And I think the market will start reacting to it. And I think that is something that could be very positive out there for the producers to look at right now uh, for the market. The funds are carrying this massive short position, and they just seem entrenched. Today was incredibly frustrating. The market tried to rally, hit technical resistance, and backed out. But a lot of things you got to remember is a lot of this trading done by the funds is all computer-generated. They say as much as 75% of, of ag trades are computerized trading, computers trading with computers. So... Part of the key is just getting this market to take out certain resistance levels, and the computers are going to trigger that buy movement, and you're going to see, I believe, a pretty quick run-up. Um, the classic example, I think, is kind of look what happened to the cattle market. It kind of collapsed last week. The fund carried this massive record long in the cattle position, and all of a sudden it actually collapsed 6 $7 in about a four- or five-day period. And the fact of the matter is, Mike, we didn't find more cattle in the last mm-hmm. five days. The difference was the funds decided to get out. And the, when they ran for the door, that door was an awful small door, and it kind of collapsed the market. Now, hopefully, we'll see kind of the reverse reaction in the grain market with the funds getting out of this massive record short position that they'll run for the door and see this market just accelerate higher and kind of get this push that it seems like we've been waiting on for a dang near about a year now, unfortunately. Now, when you're thinking about resistance levels, again, looking at that December contract, what's the first one in your mind that uh, that could bring some real headlines here and get those computer traders uh, thinking again? Well, I think right now the two, the numbers I'm looking at, plain and simple, we're getting very close. We had the low on the December contract specifically was that low was on the on the quarterly grain stock report at the end of March when we kind of got the bearish shock number when the government found all those bushels the trade wasn't looking for. That low that day was 84 and a quarter. And then a few days later, about two and a, a week and a half later, we had the April WASD report. That low was 84 and three quarters. You also had a little bit of swing low objective that was back there on March 11th, on the March WASD, uh, excuse me, WASD report. That was also at 86 and a quarter. So I think if you take up those three lows, so let's just call it roughly 85 to 86 zone. I believe once you get through those zones, you're going to probably start seeing those funds start tricking out of these longs, or excuse me shorts and hopefully fuel this market back up um your 50-day moving average right now would be your first target is 381 then your 100-day moving average is all the way up there at 396 Hmm. which kind of matches your 200-day moving average which is also right there at about 397 so i think if you can get through that 85 86 zone i think you got a quick move just shy of four dollars at this point oh all right well producers take note of that that would be a welcome change of pace it would be an incredibly welcome change of place. Now, to get over four, 
I believe you've got to get kind of a combination. I think the weather could get us up to four. Maybe a China positive news that a China deal is getting done could get us up to four. I think to get us really to push through four, we probably got to have a couple factors working, like a, the wet weather combined with the Chinese news is what it may take to get us above and beyond that four to the 420 zone that everyone's shooting for. But, uh, you know, let's be optimistic that we got at least a decent shot, I think, near term with this forecast holds in wet, unfortunately. All right, yeah. So, growers, you may be frustrated not being able to get into the field, but like you say, Jim, if that can push these funds out of their shorts, eh, things can get kind of fun kind of quick. It could get interesting, and that could give producers, a, you know, an opportunity to kind of keep an eye on it. You know, a 15-cent move doesn't sound very optimistic. Like, well, that's not a lot. For producers out there, what I'm recommending is, you know, control what you can. A lot of producers, they have bins. They fill them up. They're full of grain right now with last year's crop. Well, keep an eye on it. We were talking today with our, our marketing group today. We were at 412 for the July 20 corn. You get a 10, 15-cent move, you'll be looking at 420 July delivery corn, not July this year. But July next year, but that you know a lot of producers say if I can sell only sell corn at 420, well you're probably going to get that opportunity in the deferred contracts. Don't be afraid to take advantage of it. I even had some producers that are actually selling the diesel 20 up near the 420 level. They've got some done around 415. They're going to try to sell more at 420 because they're trying to control what they can control. Mm-hmm. I may not be able to sell this year's crop where I want to sell it, but if I can start locking in next year's crop, maybe that'll take some of the stress off and uh, lock in some of those. You know, even though deferred out, it's not a bad opportunity, we believe, if you have, you know, if your banker is willing to margin it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if your banker doesn't understand some of these things that are happening in the futures markets, get them educated, growers. I mean, that's uh, that's one of the things that you can do. And I know bankers are making a big effort to learn a lot more about futures and risk management. But uh, there's always more that can be done. Now, Jim, while we got you on the line, I got to ask you about this Chicago wheat market. This thing is painting one ugly picture. Today, I know we closed back down there around those March lows. We might have even taken them out. Where do we sit here in Chicago wheat? What's happening? Well, right now, I think the biggest problem we've got in the wheat market right now is A, we've got a good crop on the way. The fact of the matter is, you know, crop rating suggests we've got a big crop on the way, an oversupply. But it's the problem is, it's not just the United States. We've got a monster supply of wheat in the world at this point in time there's roughly put it this way there's roughly every we're harvesting wheat every month of the year except for one around the world so there's constantly a new supply coming online pretty much and so we see a lot of competition then on top of it is the trump's policies that he's been kind of pushing around right now the trade war aspect which is kind of slowing the world's economy right now is kind of having a effect that's working against the united states wheat growers right now because as the rest of the world's economies are slowing down, as the trade conflicts kind of heat up, it's making their currencies weaker, and it's pushing the U.S. currencies higher, which is keeping our wheat, unfortunately, very uncompetitive on the world market. So when we see these buyers in the world come in and buy, they're not buying the U.S. wheat. They're buying everybody else's. And right now, the wheat market's function right now is trying to find a price level where the world buyers will step in and buy us our product instead of, let's say, Russia or Canada or somebody like that. But as that dollar keeps going higher and higher and higher, it just makes it that much harder for us to uh, stay competitively priced, unfortunately. All right. And it looks like that challenge is going to be there, like you mentioned, as long as this trade battle is ongoing. Well, that's that's correct, because it's not just what's going on in China. Remember, we've kind of signed the deal. We, we, we've kind of had a handshake deal with the new NAFTA, new NAFTA 2.0, in essence, but it's not signed. We don't have a trade agreement with China. We're still trying to – because we pulled out of the TPP, 
We're now trying to do a one-on-one trade agreement with Japan right now. That hasn't been signed. You also have this European trade going on right now where the Trump administration is trying to get the Europeans to talk about agriculture. The Europeans don't want to talk about agriculture. So we have a lot of trade issues up in the air, not just with China, and that just with wheat being an international produced product, it's, it's keeping our wheat on the defensive, unfortunately. All right. Well, you talked a little bit earlier about the sell-off we saw last week in the cattle complex. Looks like it's continuing today. I mean, we're down in live cattle, maize off, of course, a little bit. The August down a buck seventy-seven. How much farther can this thing drop here? Let's say over the next week. I mean, right now, I would say a little bit lower. I wouldn't say much more than fifty cents to a dollar. I think you're going to try to catch these, especially these deferred cattle. This August cattle around one twelve. Hopefully, it doesn't go much below one twelve, maybe one eleven. You still got the growing, you know, you still have grilling season coming on spring, summer. The economy overall still looks relatively well. I mean, the GDP number came in Friday a lot better than what the market was thinking it was going to be, coming in over 3%. Unemployment, you know, numbers continue to be low. The S&P market actually went to all high, all-time highs today intermarket, interday-wise. So there's a good sign of the economies there. That should keep the demand for U.S. beef coming, I think, in the long run. I think this is more of anything, uh, more of a technical washout. Like we said, the funds are carrying this massive long position in cattle. Once that market kind of fell at the bottom, they were racing to lock in their profits. Now, I do believe in the long run, cattle still also has some opportunity with this China deal if we can cut the deal. We do know China's got this huge problem with the African swine flu, which has decimated our hog herd. And there's all sorts of reports of how many, how much protein they're going to have to buy. And there isn't enough pork in the world export-wise to fill all that need. So if China needs to fill some of that protein demand, they'll buy pork. They may buy poultry. They may even buy beef is what we're thinking. So that should also help bring that beef market back as well as the hog market back if we can finally nail this trade deal done in the next couple, excuse me, get this trade deal done in the next couple weeks. Well, and that's the thing. We, you know, we talk about the hog market. We saw it go on an absolute tear as this ASF fear began to spread. I mean, we climbed the summer months, gosh, I'm thinking the July, geez, we jumped from, what, 75 bucks all the way up over 100, and now we're, we're on a pretty steep downtrend. Again, is this technical? What's causing this sell-off as the, the swine flu continues? Well, essentially what it was is we, we had this big move. Essentially, if you look at how China has been doing it, they buy a chunk of hogs, the market reacts to it, then the market pulls back. China buys a chunk of hogs, and then it comes back, and it's pulled back. We're kind of getting that secondary pullback. We're waiting for actual confirmation that China's truly in there buying hogs and is going to buy the number that the market is speculating at this point in time. Essentially, it's kind of like like I mentioned earlier in this conversation. You know, early in the weekend, Larry Kudlow said, "Hey, you know, this trade deal is going well." The market didn't respond. The hog market's kind of rallied up on rumors of China wanting to buy a lot of hogs. Right, you know, they see confirmation that China truly is going to be buying these hogs that everyone's been speculating. Now, there's reports over the weekend I was reading that China buyers have been kind of soliciting bids and offers and trying to line up deals with some of these processing plants in Iowa. So I do think they will buy hogs. I think they need to buy hogs. A lot of people explain China hog purchasing kind of like Americans and coffee. It's hard as you're hooked on coffee like I am. It's very hard to get away from drinking coffee every day. The Chinese are kind of hooked on pork. They, it's very hard for them to move away from this pork protein. They're, it's so ingrained in their diet, so they're going to want it. We're going to provide it. The market just wants to see confirmation those sales actually are coming through, and I think once we do get confirmation of it, hopefully we get this next leg higher. All right. Jim, if our listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach you? 
Um, you know what? They can reach anybody at the agmarket.net group. That's me, of Jim McCormick, Brian Split, Matt Bennett, or Bill Biederman at 844-424-6758. All right, Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Really appreciate your insight, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you again, and thank you for having me on. Well, a huge thanks to Jim for taking the time to talk to us. Listeners, give them a holler, of course, if you need any help or assistance or you want to pick his brain any further. As I mentioned tomorrow, we do expect to have Delaney back in the house. We'll get her update on what happened with Secretary Purdue today while they were exploring Vermeer and Corteva Agrisciences. And if you've got suggestions, if you've got cool things happening in your part of the world, we want to know about it. Reach out to us. You can find us on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily and we will be there. Or you can go straight to our website. Just type in agnewsdaily.com and we'll pop up. It'll take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network, home to several other fantastic podcasts. Please hit subscribe. If you are an iTunes user, please leave a review. The reviews help us, uh, well, they help other listeners find us. They're a great benchmark and it shows iTunes that, hey, agriculture matters. People pay attention to this stuff. So by all means, if you can, post a review, click a five-star rating, because uh, we'd really appreciate it. And uh, with that, listeners, I'm going to let you go. 